How is it going, ladies and gentlemen? This is Sean Barnes. I want to welcome you back to The Way of the Wolf. We have Philip Sessions in the studio again today. It's been a couple of years since he's been here with me. We're going to be chopping it up, talking about leadership, communication, building businesses, all those sorts of fun things. Philip. Welcome to the show. Hey, Sean. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to be back in person once again. This is an exciting time. I know. We've done a few virtual ones over the years, and I always enjoy these conversations. So tell me, where would you like to start? Let's just dive right into leadership, man. Okay. I think that's going to be a great overarching topic for mm -hmm. us to talk about. We'll end up talking about communication, team building, things like that throughout mm -hmm. all of this and mm -hmm. really business at the end of the day that's what it is as leaders yep. we're developing a business no matter if we're on the outside building it on the inside building it if we're building somebody else's a leader is there developing the business yeah okay all right so where my mind immediately goes to is i've been on this entrepreneurship journey for a couple of months now full-time officially and what I want to talk through is some of the things that I have come to realize in a very short period of time when having conversations with CIOs, CHROs, uh, just CEOs, all sorts of C-suite executives. Whenever I go in and talk through the areas that myself and our team focus on, which is people, processes, and technology, they all seem to latch on to the people piece mm. of it. I'm struggling with culture. I'm struggling with talent management and turnover. I can't get my people to stick around. That is not surprising for me to hear, but at the same token, it seems that that is a theme that almost all businesses are struggling with yeah. these days. And I know in your business, you coach and mentor a lot of people more on the public speaking side, but you do focus on leadership with the people that you work with. Have you been seeing a similar trend? Oh, for sure. Always culture, employee retention, things like that is really the struggle right now. Mm -hmm. And how do I effectively communicate with my team is, mm -hmm what I end up focusing on a lot because that's where public speaking, communication, those all kind of go hand in hand, but that's where they really struggle at because I can talk one way to the rest of the C-suite team, the leadership team, but how do I get down to the people, especially when they're a couple of rungs below me and they're the ones doing the work, how do I let them know things? And a lot of times I find as well is that they feel like they can't share all the insides, like what's up and coming because they want to almost guard that or, or protect the people from that the employees but what i find is that that in my mind that really hinders the growth of the company because not everybody wants to know the ins and outs of the business what's going on what's in the future what are some things that we're worried about but at the same time you have people that want to know that that are hungry to know that and if you're looking to build up your leadership culture and really backfill your leadership team because there's companies out there, and I've worked with some of them, where they've got leaders that have been there for 30 years. They're getting ready to retire. And if you're not talking about these things with them, how are they going to be able to take over from day one? And so you really need to have those conversations. And through those conversations, I feel you will see some of the people that you can just, their ears are, are popping up. They're interested. They like that stuff. And I think about an engineer, for example, because I'm an engineer. And so for me, talking about engineering, yeah, I can do it all day. I can talk technical. I can talk programming. But when you start talking about leadership stuff, I get a little excited. I'm like, oh, this is cool. I like talking about the future of the company. But then you'll see other engineers that don't want to talk about it. That's leave me behind the computer. That's it. And so if you talk about these things, you can kind of see who those people are going to be in that company. 
Well, and I think that tells you who you can spend your time mm-hmm. working with. Because mm-hmm. to your point, not everybody wants to be a leader. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. I did struggle with that early, probably about a decade ago, trying to wrap my head around, so you're just okay coming in nine to five and going home and playing video games? Like that's all you want from life? Yeah. And I couldn't wrap my head around it. But the reality is we need people that operate in that way. Not everybody's cut out to be a leader. You've experienced it firsthand. Leadership is very challenging because mm-hmm. going from being an engineer, where my background's in the IT side of things, you configure a router and it's set. You don't have to worry about did that router have some sort of issue with its kids? Did yeah. it have a spouse that cheated on it? Did it have all of these things <laughs> that will. Uh, impact a person's ability to do their job. Mm -hmm. And so whenever you step into that leadership role, you have to start to understand what drives and motivates Philip. Well, what drives and motivates Philip might be different today than it will be 10 years from now. So that means if you're constantly working through putting together pieces of this puzzle for your business to operate at its optimum capacity, Mm -hmm. great, cool. The challenge is those puzzle pieces or the people are constantly evolving and moving. Yeah. So you have to keep a pulse on everybody on your team. And that's work. It's not easy. It's very challenging, but that's how you build trust in relationships. And then whenever you have those relationships, you know what drives Philip, what drives Jason, what drives Sally. And then you create those opportunities and then you share where is the business going? This is... Oh, we've got a downturn ahead of us. It's going to get brutal. But you would much rather Mm -hmm. know that so that mentally you're prepared as opposed to just having to deal with silence and thinking the worst. Like, oh, my God, am I going to lose my job? Well, at least if the leader tells you, hey, we're going to cut half the company. Yeah. Okay. Well, I know that's a possibility. Start saving. Yeah. Right. So you can actually be mentally prepared. And just having clarity, while difficult having those conversations, can be extremely beneficial in building trust. And a lot of leaders yeah. just aren't comfortable with that. Yeah. And the other thing that I found with leaders is they will, they forget that they are not the ones doing the work anymore. They feel like they have to solve the problem. They have to be the one to lead the pack, so to say. No, your job as a leader is to take down any walls, any barriers that get in the way of the people actually doing the work. And those are the leaders that I've worked for in the past that I love the most. I loved working for them. I would do everything I could because I knew they had my back. The leaders that, oh, oh hey, we need to work on this. Okay, I, yeah, I'll take it to management. I'll, I'll see what we can do. Oh, and then they come back. Oh, management couldn't do that. It's the worst. And being with a manufacturing background, the people that solve the problems are usually the people that are like loading parts, uh, say, in an automotive fan- manufacturing industry. The people loading the parts know what's wrong with that. It's not the engineer. It's not the manager. It's always the person loading the part. But if you don't ever go out there and ask them that question, they're not going to tell you. They're not just going to volunteer it because what happens? I tell you the information. Oh, no, 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 it can't be that. And then you try and figure something else out, and you spend thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars to come up with some stupid process that makes their job even harder and now they're just pissed off, so they want to tell you even less. So the more you go to them and ask them their opinion, what they think, and then come back and say, hey, here's why we did what you did or why we didn't, and let them know. And that's the part that we fail. Sometimes we go out there, hey, what's your thought? What, Sean, what do you think here? And you give a, an opinion, and then we co- we never come back to you and tell you anything. And it's like, well, why am I going to keep telling you? Because every time you ask me something, 
I never tell you anything in return. I never give you any feedback. Even if your opinion or your your idea was turned down, I should still tell you why as a leader. I shouldn't just leave it as, well, it's turned down. Well, no, hey, here's why, because of these other things that you don't see because you're here in the process. I'm here at the 30,000 foot view. I can see where we're trying to go. That doesn't align with our targets. Oh, okay, that makes more sense. And now I'm bought in more as an employee, as somebody on the team. And that's oftentimes what leaders don't want to do. But your team can solve the problems for you. And they're supposed to solve the problems. You just remove the barriers. You get the money, whatever that looks like in your situation. Isn't it crazy how, as humans, we spend our entire lives communicating, mm-hmm. yet we can suck so bad at it? Yeah. It is crazy that learning how to develop skills around communication is such a hard concept for people to grasp. Mm-hmm. And I think it comes down to making sure that it's the right type of communication, that there's trust that exists, and that the manager is comfortable giving you the keys to the kingdom and saying, hey, Philip, I know you're my top director and I'm the VP, and I want you to be able to do everything that I do today. So mm-hmm. I'm going to just share everything with you. I'm going to be an open book. Now, there may be times when, especially if you're at a publicly traded corporation, you just can't share everything. But I have found that if you are more transparent than not, mm-hmm. it will rarely bite you in the ass. For the most part, it's going to be a good thing because we're going to have trust. You're going to better understand what's going on. And when I do make a decision, you're going to understand the why. And whenever I start delegating more and more to you and letting you make more of those decisions, I'm going to feel more comfortable with it Yeah, because I know you know where my head is at and there's alignment. And if there's not alignment, we need to talk through it. Mm -hmm. Hey, Philip, I want you to start doing this new process. And then you come back. Well, that's dumb because of this. Now, probably not the best way to deliver (laughs) that message, but we probably need to talk through it because, Sean, you might not be seeing this, this, and this. Mm -hmm. Oh, I wasn't aware of that because I'm up here and you're closer to Mm -hmm. the project Mm -hmm. or working with the equipment. You're going to have visibility into it, kind of like we were just talking about. Yeah, exactly. And And then the other way, too, like if you're trying to explain why this process won't work, how can you tie that into the targets of the company? Because, yeah, the, these upper the C-suite executives and stuff like that, they're thinking about the targets. They're looking five, ten years out. They're not thinking about today. And while five or ten years out, that might be great. Right now, it's terrible. So how can you go back and explain that and really explain, hey, we need to do this because and how it supports this five or ten year goal is going to be a great way for you to build that buy-in core values, things like that. And the more you can tie this into the company and what the company is looking to do and where they're trying to go, the easier it's going to be for you to sell, if you will, what it is that you're wanting to do. And and kind of going with what you were talking about with processes and technology, those are things that are easy. It's ones and zeros. You can kind of put those in place and, oh, this is great. But the people are constantly changing. Even like for us, if we're hungry or if we're, we're irritable, whatever may be going on, we're going to have to approach each other a little differently when we talk. There's not this, oh, well, okay, Sean's hungry. Hmm, okay, well, I need, I need to approach him this way. Oh, Sean's, it's he's been here for 12 hours. I need to approach him this way. He's yeah. a little tired. Like, There's not a the guideline for that where when we look at businesses that are established, they have a process for a certain thing. They have technology to help that. 
and the people there is nothing of that and so it's really a skill you have to learn with time you can go to trainings and work with coaches like us but it still takes time and repetition to really truly master that skill and that's the hard thing for a lot of leaders they want to try and bypass that if they can but you can't it's about getting the reps in so get out there and start talking with your team. <laughs> yeah, it, it, you're dead on, right? Whenever it comes to getting the reps in. Now, I do have to say, when Sean's hungry, bring him a cookie. <laughs> and that usually does the trick. Oatmeal raisin, to be clear. Yeah. That yeah, usually be does gluten-free tr- and sugar-free, though. Cause he's no, I just diet. power through. I just power through. It's going to be rough, but I power through. <laughs> it's worth it. <laughs> but, yeah, so I was, I'm thinking back through um, – A few years, uh, probably about four years or so ago, I was in a leadership development, kind of an executive cohort, and one of the other vice presidents turned to me and, and asked, how did you get your IT team to perform at the level that they do? It is beyond impressive. I've never encountered anything like it in my entire life. How did you get them there? Because I need to get my team there as fast as possible. And I paused and said, time. It just takes time and intentionality in terms of focused development around building the leader of that team, empowering him or her, coaching them, making sure they know what they need to do, and not only know how to lead their team, but also know how to build leaders within their team. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like this ripple effect. If I can build and develop the director or VP of IT then he can build and develop his managers, grow them into directors eventually. They can then grow mm. the people on their team. It becomes this ripple effect, and that's how you affect change at scale. Mm. It doesn't happen overnight, though. It takes time and intentionality, and you have to know what you're doing whenever it comes to the leadership development side of things. Mm. And this is an important part. I've started having many conversations with business executives and, and, and entrepreneurs and there's a little bit of a uncertainty in their minds whenever it comes to leadership development. Some of them have this mindset, that's just some touchy-feely HR crap I don't need to worry about. I pay people, they need to do their job, right? Yeah. Okay, all right, fair enough. <clears throat> but the other side of it is this is, a, this is a real challenge that these executives don't know how to navigate because likely they are undeveloped as leaders themselves. And so they haven't seen the value firsthand. Also, the barrier to entry to becoming a coach is nothing. Mm-hmm. You just fire up an Instagram page and I'm a life coach but you're 20 years old. That's okay. I'm going to be great. Well, but you, you haven't lived. Right? Yeah, yeah. So there is something to be said for somebody who has spent time and years in the seat, getting the reps and developing themselves and also building and leading teams. And I've come across people that have MBAs, you know, they went through, they got their college degree, they went and got an MBA and then all of a sudden they do leadership development. Well, you've never led a team. Mm-hmm. You never led a team, period. The end, I understand you know the materials. You've read the books, but that doesn't mean you understand how to apply that knowledge. And so I think spending time learning the skills, adding those skills to your toolbox, and then spending more time applying those skills with some sort of feedback loop to know this works, this doesn't, maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe don't get Sean this. Maybe Philip likes this. It just takes time and getting the reps in. And most people don't understand that 
that's really what it comes down to. Yeah. And I like to use the acronym ACT. So action, consistency, and time. You need all three of those in order to be able to build that team. So I want to ask a question to you real quick, and then we'll tie this back in on how to actually build the teams. How do you know when a leader is ready to be a leader? Like You're trying to develop somebody to start leading in whatever function. How do you know when they're truly ready to start leading? Or how, how, do, you, how do you see that, the, okay, they're a good leader now? I look at how they interact with the rest of the people on the team, even if they're not in a leadership role. So you say I had five direct reports in a function. Mm-hmm. I will look at who the others naturally look to and seek guidance from and then how that person responds to them. If everybody's going to Jason asking for technical answers and Jason's like, figure it out. You have you have Google, yeah. right? Uh, okay, that, that's probably not the right person. However, mm-hmm. if somebody keeps going to Crystal and she takes the time to, to show, well, this is how I do it. This is what is going on. This is how this works. And, you know, go try it. And then let me know how it goes. That's a stark contrast in terms of how these peers are interacting with the rest of the people on their team. Mm. Now, there's another element that I've discovered over the years because some of the strongest leaders that have worked for me didn't want to be in a leadership role, but I saw something in them. And I think part of what I saw was what I just described. Mm -hmm. They were naturally stepping into that leadership role without really seeing it or recognizing it. And this speaks to the importance of, as a senior leader, having a pulse on your team, getting feedback from everybody and trust, and having those conversations on a regular basis. Because when you do, you will see the leaders that will naturally emerge. And sometimes they don't want it. And one of the strongest leaders that I've worked with, it took me years to get him into a leadership role. He was kicking and screaming, I've never done it. I don't want to do it. I'm not, I'm not a leader. I'm the tech guy. I don't want it. One of the strongest leaders now that that I've ever worked with. Mm. And it's it's interesting to see that sometimes the people that don't want it end up being the best leaders. Mm. Yeah, I would say there's some humbleness there as well, which is probably why that, that happens. But going back to your example of Crystal, mm-hmm. so we saw there was an action. She took action by helping people and consistency because she was consistently helping other people. But mm-hmm. this wasn't just over a two-year time period. I'm mm-hmm. sure this – or two-week time period, yeah. rather. It was probably over a two-year time period mm-hmm. or extended time period. And so that's where that ACT acronym comes in. And so the same thing for you as a leader. If you want a better team culture, if you want a better company culture, it comes down to you acting consistently for a period of time. If you want to change the culture, it's not by going to a workshop and now you've had the, the, you've drank the Kool-Aid, it's a new flavor of the month, you're excited, now all of a sudden everybody else should be excited. No. And it sucks because you want to do something and you almost want to say, hey, look at my CEO title right here. You're, you're supposed to listen because of that. But we all know that's the worst way <laughs> to yeah. lead is by title. There, yeah. there are times for that. But when it comes to culture building, no. So you have to start acting in the way that you want others to act and be consistent with the way you act. And then finally, over time, people will start recognizing that that's who you are now. I was actually talking with my mom about this yesterday with my brother because he was overweight years ago. And it's probably, I would probably say, 
a solid five years at least that he's stayed like in, in pretty good shape for him and everything. And she's all like, she mentioned something about the fact that like, oh yeah, you know, he's not overweight anymore. And kind of made it seem like his identity was still like he's this overweight kid. And he's not because he has been in good shape. And yeah, of course we all fluctuate in, in our shape and everything a little bit, but he's never went back to where he was. And I was like, that's not who he is anymore. He's somebody that's in shape now. Mm-hmm. And so the same thing for us. Over time, we become this new type of leader because of the way we act. But it takes that action, consistency, and time for us to be that new leader, that leader that we want people to see in order to change that company culture, to have the company be shaped a different way. But once you start being that part, you become that part. Man. <laughs> You beautifully tied all that together, man. Well, that's called right. public speaking coach, right? So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. Okay. So where my head goes is a lot of the times these leaders, they want instant gratification. And that's the way the world is designed yeah. this day. Amazon, age, right? it's here in two days. Are you kidding me? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Anything you want at the, you know, just scroll through on your phone and it shows up a day later. Right. Yeah. Or, yeah. or sometimes the same day, quite yeah. frankly. So instant gratification has <clears throat> permeated through the entirety of the, of the world. And whenever you tell somebody, you got to be patient, it's going to take time. Mm. They don't like hearing mm. that. But that's mm. ultimately what it comes down to. And I think that... The period of time that people are focused on growing into a leadership role, because there's obviously a lot of people out there that aspire to be good leaders, and they want to get there overnight, and it just doesn't happen. It takes years and years. And I can confidently say it's probably taken me five to ten years of intentional focus to get to the point that I'm at now. And I still have a lot to learn. Mm -hmm. I can... I can openly acknowledge that, but it has taken me a very long time. And as I have gotten older, 42 now, I've come to realize that delayed gratification is worth it. Yeah. It is perfectly okay to spend time putting the reps in. I mean, hell, this podcast is a perfect example. It's been three years that the show's been been going on. So 150-something episodes that we're at now. I don't have near the reach that I would like to, but it's been gradually, steadily, slowly building over time. I don't care. Because I'm making an impact on the people that are watching, the people that are listening. And when they send me a message, hey, your show today really resonated with me. Thank you. That's that. I mean, that's everything, quite frankly. Yes, I would love to get millions of downloads, but that, you know, that's not why I'm doing it. Um, It would be nice and it would mean that I could potentially have a greater impact on the world. But also I'm in this for the long haul. Right. I figure if I can do this for a decade that something will come of it. And if not, well, it's probably not meant for me. I don't think that's going to happen, but that's really where my head is at. I didn't start this podcast just to to monetize it and make a ton of money, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I'm never going to monetize the show, but uh, a lot of people get into it and they think, well, I'm, I'm going to get into a leadership role. I want to be a CEO blah, 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 and it's just, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Yeah, and you have to be patient. And so what I found for myself, because I'm the world's worst at having patience. And I know we've talked about a lot of things, or I don't have the patience. I have the drive, and being these big corporations, it's a lot of times it's, it's a slow grind. 
and I talk about if you're trying to change the trajectory of where that company's going, it's like you having a two by four on the side of a cargo ship and you're trying to row. How effective is that really going to happen? I mean, maybe eventually I'm sure there's somebody could do the math that eventually you could turn that a little bit. But I mean, how much is that really turning with the two by four? But that's what it is when you're one individual person, when you're that cog in the wheel, so to speak. But in order to have patience, what I found for myself is really just finding targets along the way. And so if you have that young person on your team as a leader, that's something you need to help set up for them. Like, hey, what are some targets we can focus on? Especially as a millennial and what Gen Z generations, we've got like five generations of people in the workforce right now. The the oldest one, the baby boomers, you just say, do this. Okay, no questions asked. And then you get down to the Gen Gen um no, not Gen Y, I can't think, but the, the one before millennials. When you get to them, they've kind of been overlooked, unfortunately. Uh, but they're they're kind of still in between. They, they want to develop. They want to know what to do. But you can also just tell them what to do, and they're just going to do it. Millennial and Gen Z, you can't just tell them. you got to tell them the why behind it and then give them things to do. And unfortunately, we've kind of skipped the generation that's before millennials, and we're focused on millennial and Gen Z. So if we're going to be focused on them, how do we help develop them? Give them targets and reasons why they need to hit these targets. And that's how I found to be able to keep patience for myself, but how you can help help other people, especially young people, be more patient and say, hey, we need to work on these. We need to have you doing this and this. And okay, cool. And let them find a way to get there. They just need to know what are those steps. And a lot of times those aren't apparent. And as a leader, there's a lot of leaders, and I would call them more managers out there, that one, they don't really understand the steps, but two, they don't share those steps either because they're afraid that, well, I'm going to start working for you one day. And is that really that bad? Because it it happens all the time where you'll get a young person that leaps up over you. So why not at least train them up? Worst case, in the way that you want them to be, because then they're going to like you a lot more. <laughs> but, yeah. but still, train them up yeah. because they got to take over that company one day. Yeah. Yeah, that's such an interesting point. And I can think through uh, one of my consultants today was a coach and mentor, and I actually worked for him 15 years ago. Mm. Great guy. And now that I've launched my company and we're get different projects that come in the door and I can call on him and, and he's working for me, but we have a great relationship. He's phenomenal, phenomenal at what he does. And I like to think I'm pretty good at what I do. So we complement each other very well, but ultimately there's trust. After he and I working together for almost 15 years on and off, there's a lot of trust there. And I think really what it comes down to is good people want to work with good people. Mm -hmm. And so as you navigate through life and your career, latch on to those people that you resonate with. They, they resonate at a similar level as you. And and there's trust and camaraderie and and you can work together on things. And I think that's one of the biggest things that I have also learned is surround yourself with excellence. I mean, that's the easy answer. And when Mm. you have people that are toxic to your team, get them out. Mm. You've got to get them out as fast as possible. I don't care if they're your top salesman or your CFO, you've got to get that cancer out of your organization or else they're going to be a drag on the rest of the team. And I've seen it more times than I can count where they'll hang on to the top salesperson. Oh, well, we can't get rid of him or her because they bring in X amount of revenue. Well, the rest of the team is suffering 
while you're hanging on to this person that's capturing <clears throat> revenue and they're actually we're getting all sorts of complaints against this person just it's insanity and when they finally let that person go the productivity for the rest of the team skyrockets hmm. because they're now focused on executing the mission as opposed to bitching and complaining about that toxic person that nobody was doing anything about. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I wrote down this question because I wanted us to cover this, but the thing that comes up from a, a lot of leaders that I've talked to is how do we get good people? So I, I want to ask you that question. How do we get good people? Because they're just not good people out there. We can't find them. We can't recruit them. Okay, so there's two ways. In my, you can build the talent or you can buy the talent. And now I imagine you're probably thinking, yeah, duh, okay. <laughs> right. But that's really what it comes down to. And if you want good people, you can't always just buy that talent unless you are a developed leader, can hold them accountable and set them up for success. Mm. You can buy all the talent you want, but as a senior leader, if you are not intentional about building a culture of performance and holding people accountable, you're gonna have high performers that are toxic, like we were just talking about, mm -hmm. that are drain on the rest of the team. Mm. And so I think what you have to do is balance the priorities and timelines of the organization itself with, can we build this talent? <clears throat> Or do we have to go buy this talent? Mm. If an organization is doubling or tripling in size in one year, quite frankly, you probably don't have enough time to build the talent that you need in-house. Or you might not have enough bodies to build. If you're going to two or three X in a year, which is usually kind of in the, in the startup phases, mm. you're going to have to hire people, which means... You're going to hire some really talented people, but you have to be very intentional about how you assimilate them into your culture. And if you do not have a defined culture, that should be your top priority. Yeah. That's really what it comes down to. Yeah. And I think it, it almost sounds a little contradictory with the story you just mentioned before about the toxic person. Mm -hmm. So we have a good talent when we have good people. And so you can have great talent, but they're not also... Uh, an, always great people and so we have to find that what we really in my mind if you find a good person who's got decent talent they're 10 times better than somebody that's got great talent and they're they're a terrible person mm -hmm. or they're even just like a halfway decent person because like you said you get rid of that toxic person everybody in the team starts performing better so same thing with you as a leader if you are a great leader you focus on the people and you're more of a people person than a technical leader and telling them here's the direction we're going they're going to want to work with you so much more than somebody else and the same thing with the people around them if they've got good people they enjoy them with it doesn't mean they have to go out and get beer or go out to top golf with or anything like that it just means they enjoy being there with those people and working with those people and really kind of being in the trenches they're going to want to be there more and you're going to be able to have people perform higher because of that and I think about, and I don't know the exact statistic, but like one horse can pull so many pounds. You put two horses together and they can pull like three times or four times their weight. And it's the same thing. When you get one great person, they can do so much. You get two great people, they do so much more. So it's not necessarily about buying the talent. I mean, there are times for that, but it's also about developing that, which really goes back to our core values about the vision of the company. And, and you kind of hinted at this, I feel like, as well. When you buy that talent, you have to keep them some way. 
It's through your culture, your company culture, because just like you bought that person to come in, another company can buy them as well. So the reason why people stay and really the reason why people go is because of a company culture. They always say people don't leave, they don't quit a job, they quit a leader. They stay at a job because of the leader as well. They stay at a job because of the company, because of these things that don't actually work for them in the company. Because money is the easy thing to do. You can always throw money at people. But it's not until you start adding culture in there, health insurance. I mean, that's another basic one. But money, basic benefits, those are all things that the company, it's just an expectation now because every company is doing that. But what really differentiates you is the values that you bring at that company. And especially with small business, this is a lot easier than a large business like an OEM or something. But with a small business, when people can see themselves inside of your business, inside of the vision of your business, they want to stay there. When they feel like they are beyond your business, they've grown outside of your business, that's when they start looking elsewhere because they're looking for the leader that can share a vision that is there inside of. You think of an umbrella. If they're going to get wet because they're bigger than your umbrella is, they're going to go somewhere else where they've got a bigger umbrella. But if your umbrella is so massive that it can cover everybody's vision, everybody's dream within the company, people are going to stay there. So that's what it really comes down to, dreaming bigger at the end of the day and, and having a good culture. All right. I want to talk a little bit about subcultures. So uh, I'm curious, in your experience, you work for a very large corporation, but then you also coach people that work in, I, I would imagine, a lot of different size companies. Mm-hmm. And my background in oil and gas, always a lot of mergers and acquisitions and integrations. And you inevitably end up with a whole bunch of little subcultures from all these companies that have been acquired. And we'll say quasi-integrated because integrations isn't always as successful and clear-cut as people would like. Yeah, But you end up with all of these little subcultures, and I found it fascinating to see how strong some of these subcultures were and how they would almost butt heads and compete against one another. Like, oh, well, these guys, da 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 or oh, well, they're not doing this right, da da Well, whenever you start getting those guys to actually communicate with one another and start spending time together, they can start to recognize there is more alignment there than you initially anticipated. Mm-hmm. So it's like you've got, to use your umbrella analogy, you've got this red umbrella and then green umbrella, and they come together, and they're just like butting heads. But whenever they start to cross-pollinate, they're like, okay, well, there's a lot of the same stuff that you guys do that, that we do. Well, that's interesting. Oh, actually, I really like what you guys are doing over here. And so if you find yourself in a leadership role and you have little subcultures, I would encourage you to figure out how to break those walls down. Mm. And my firsthand experience was as I grew as a technology leader and then started also leading HR and then safety and the transportation and PMO and ESG, all these different functional teams. Whenever I started, there was a VP over all of these teams. Like there was one VP over transportation, one over safety, one over IT. And there were walls between these support functions. And we were able to work through and support the organization. But that was one of the first things that I always focused on was tearing those walls down and getting people to communicate. And when they see that they're people just like them, 
they have challenges, and then also helping the IT team understand the challenges that the HR team was going through. It's like you kind of pull the blinders back, and the IT people would, oh, oh, well, I didn't realize that that's what they were having to deal with. That kind of sucks. Maybe I can help them with this. And so if you find yourself with multiple subcultures and you want to lead through it, which can feel like a daunting task, but it's not insurmountable, start tearing down those walls, start establishing connections, getting people aligned and seeing how they can help one another. Have you experienced something like this in your world? Yeah, I've got two examples of that. And so one well, neither really happened, but how I would fix them, <laughs> it would be this way. So when I worked for Schneider Electric, one of the things that all the engineers would complain about was the fact that the sales team, they'd go and sell this system, and they'd just be like, oh, yeah, it's going to work. And it was so much work on the engineer's side. Yes, we got it to work, but was it even a profitable project? I don't really know because I wasn't on that side. I was the engineer and everything. And so you would see where the engineers complain about this sales guys, they were making way more money. And and so these are definitely complaints that you're just going to see no matter what, but how I would have mitigated some of that to make the engineer's life easier. Now they're not going to get paid as much because it's a tough thing on a sales side. And, and really, and truthfully, if you said, Hey, we'll let you come over here to make more money. Like the sales guy, most of those engineers will not go over there because they don't want to deal with customers and all of this. And then you, maybe they have, a flat baseline like two thousand dollars a month and they get all this commission afterwards like oh i can't do that i don't want the instability and so they wouldn't really want to go over but how could you get them to work together and so really figure out like hey let's bring you into like pre-engineering so we're going to come have you come as a sales engineer and come with the sales team and talk through that like okay here's what you're really looking for based on what we kind of already have and what we can do and some of the engineering we can you know customize a little bit here's what we could do and so now you probably could sell a system for more but now you've got the engineers be able to talk through and figure out oh okay this is what the sales team is dealing with but then the other side the sales guys get to learn more about engineering and understanding what all their what hoops they're having to jump through just to make something happen based on the system they sold that really wasn't even a thing that existed. You just kind of threw stuff together and said, "Hey, here it works." And I know you've seen this of programming where, "Oh, we're going to sell this system. It's going to do all this stuff." And you're like, "Are you kidding me? These systems they don't even talk to each other." Now we got to find a third party, a piece of equipment to make them communicate with each other. And so really just getting the teams to come together and really work on a project. And so the same thing from an HR perspective with training development and then what actually needs to happen on the manufacturing floor. Being in HR, there's a lot of red tape. And there's still a lot of red tape on the manufacturing floor, but you got this little easy button, and it's not always easy, but it's a little bit of an easier button where you say, manufacturing need, we need it now, and it goes right through, no big deal. HR, it's not a manufacturing need. It's not a production need, I should say. It's probably more production need. And so they can't hit that easy button saying, hey, production need, we have to have this now. we got to escalate it through all the, the chains of command and get all the approvals. And so they're slowly churning this training development while you've got the business side, the production side, that is like, hey, we needed this two years ago. Where is this at? And so really trying to get them to come together to talk about this, what things are actually needed, what aren't, and be able to find the priorities within that. Because you've got HR that's doing all this development, which they, they should be. That's their realm. And then you've got production that has their needs over here. Well, a lot of times HR is trying to develop this, 
but then you got production over here that just ends up going and outsourcing stuff because like, well, we can't wait. We just got to do this. So you need to come together. And so I don't really have necessarily a great example of that, but just being able to talk back and forth uh, and really it comes down to communication, how you kind of fix on this. Hey, we're working on this. Here's where we're developing. And I see this all the time within companies where you've got the HR doing something, they're developing something, leadership knows about it because they're kind of the go-between. And then the employees that are waiting for this, they want that training, they're hungry. They're, where is it? Where is it at? And well, the leaders don't really know what's going on too much. And HR doesn't really want to explain all of what's going on because it's really just they're part of the system and they're having to wait through the process and everything. So really, if I could sum it up and the way to fix it would be that systems and processes are a great thing for a small business and they still make sense for a large business. But as the business gets large, they have a process for each department, but there's no process for when departments have to work together. So you really need to create a process and, and again, it's difficult and that's where the people come in and people are smarter than a process or a system. They can understand how to navigate through that, but still it would help the company culture as well and fix some of these issues. If you had a process for when department A and department B work together, here's the process because what happens and why it takes so long in these large businesses is that Team A has a process and they've got to go through and get their checks and approvals and Team B has that same thing. So then Team B is waiting on Team A and then Team A gets their approval, goes back to Team B, they're waiting on Team B and it's just this whole waiting game. Where's that process in the middle that says, hey, we're doing this together. We need to have just everybody come together. And I get that senior management is busy, but this would help speed things along and really develop the team a lot more. So those are kind of like two ex examples of things that I see. I don't necessarily have like a great idea of how to fix that, but that's, those are some of the things that I've seen in companies. Well, I think that it kind of comes down to what are the the drivers that are, are actually driving that behavior. Mm. And a lot of times, especially in publicly traded organizations, it's shareholder value. Well, we've got to drive the stock in the right direction. Mm -hmm. So that means we've got to sell more product. And even if you don't have the right people involved or the right parts available, we've got to rush this to get this out the door so that we hit our quarter you know, targets and, and the stock moves in the right direction. And there, I think you and I have even talked about this. One of the things that I appreciate about Gary V is the fact that he could IPO his company and make ridiculous amounts of money, but he doesn't want to be beholden to shareholders mm. because he has a long-term strategic vision for where he wants to take his company. And he, if he wants to sacrifice a few quarters of performance to achieve some long-term goal and objective... He doesn't want to have shareholders breathing down his neck trying to force him to make a short-term decision mm -hmm. for a long-term problem. And I think that is a challenge that many organizations struggle with is they get to a point where they're so massive and there's all these other shareholders, whether you're public or private, there's always going to be stakeholders involved that are trying to drive growth in the business. And sometimes the stuff, it, well, we just keep hammering on this. It takes time, yeah. right? Yeah. And and whenever a business is hyper-focused on grow, 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 you start sacrificing some of these things that you and I are talking about mm -hmm. that are actually far more important to the long-term sustainability of the corporation. And when we look at how ESG 
is at the forefront of all everybody's minds these days. Now, people will say environmental, social, and governance, or environmental, sustainability, and governance. So there's mm -hmm. a few things that S could kind of fall into. But sustainability is a big factor for a lot of companies, and they just throw that out the window for profits. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, don't get me started on the ESG route. I, I'm uh, definitely a, an advocate against it. I don't think it's a it's a great thing overall. I mean, okay. there, there's definitely parts to it that are good. Yeah. I think overall, it's a it's a government forced thing, especially in the European yep. domain. Yeah, I mean, by law, it's there, yeah. or it's not by law here yet, at least. And so there, there's definitely there. there's definitely pieces that are great, but as an overall long term thing, it, it to me is not a great thing. Yeah, you know, it's challenging. The whole DEI topic. It's so such a sensitive topic. And I mm -hmm. had Evan Neerman on recently, and he has a PR firm called Red Banyan. And we were talking about just uh, cancel culture. Mm -hmm. And anything in this DEI space, you have to be very careful about the things that you say. Yeah. And uh, a lot of the HR summits and forums that I've been attending and speaking at recently, they'll talk about DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was actually one that I was sitting at, oh God, a couple of months ago, and they asked me, you know, my opinions on diversity. Mm -hmm. And I asked the, the moderators like, well, what does diversity mean to you? And he quit back. Well, I believe it's an old wooden ship. <laughs> I said, no, no, that's not quite right. But in any event, whenever I think about diversity, I completely support equality of opportunity. Mm -hmm. Everybody should have the same opportunity to go into a pool where an organization can select the best suited talent for a given position. Mm -hmm. The problem that I see with a lot of ESG frameworks that exist out there today is they are forcing equality of outcome. Mm -hmm. And they say, you have to have 50% females in leadership positions. Yeah. Okay, well, what if females don't want to be in leadership positions? Mm -hmm. All right. Well, you have to have 50% female engineers on the team. Mm -hmm. Well, you and I both know that females are more interested in people and males are more interested in things, yeah. which lends itself to men going into STEM fields, mm -hmm. engineering mm -hmm. being one, women going into fields focused on people like healthcare, teaching, and things like that. There's pros and cons to each. And yes, you can find some phenomenal female engineers, but you can't say, okay, well, the majority of women, period, mm -hmm they're not going to be interested in engineering tools. Yeah. There will be some that you can pull into the team. So from a mathematical perspective, if you start running the numbers and you force a team to have 50% women, when the talent pool, the bell curve of talent within mm -hmm. a smaller population, you're just not going to have the same level of output. Now, that is a very tricky conversation to have whenever you talk about statistics and math and differences between male and female. That's very challenging. Mm -hmm. Where it also comes into play is whenever you start throwing race into the mix of saying, well, we've got John over here. He's a white Christian male, has 20 years of experience and proven he can execute in this role. Mm. We've got Sally over here who's an African-American black lady right out of college, and we need to have a black lady in this position, so we're just going to put her in this role. Mm -hmm. Well, which one's going to successfully execute in that role? 
uh, I mean, you could probably get Sally there, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But John is going to be able to hit the ground running. Now, where I think it is important is to focus on diversity of thought. Yeah. Because Sally and John are both going to have different life experiences. Can you team them up so that they can both work on solving the solution? Because she is definitely going to have view things through a different lens than the lens that John is going to view them through. Mm. It's just a very challenging topic to navigate. In these DEI frameworks, they focus on what percentage of male, female do you have in leadership roles? What percentage of minorities do you have in these roles? They're not focusing on are you creating opportunities for everybody? They're focusing on the outcomes only. Yeah. And there was a panel that I wasn't sitting on, but I was observing. And there was a chief diversity officer and a CHRO and a couple of others. And they were talking through. And I posed that question because there was like an online thing that you could post it. It would post up there. And my question was something to the effect of, um, you know what, let me let me see if I can find it because I don't want to misquote what I said here. But no, I, I definitely agree with you what you're talking about there. And and too often we're focusing on the the equity, you know, the equal outcome versus the equal opportunity. And I think as long as we focus on the equal opportunity, that is okay. But when we try to make everybody have the same outcome, that's not okay. Yeah. That that's not really America at the end of the day. That is that is not the American culture that mm-hmm. we had that started in seventeen seventy six. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we're we're flipping this culture and that's where I don't like this because we're trying to get rid of what the American culture is, the American dream. Mm-hmm. And that's why everybody flocks to the United States of America. Yeah. Because they could see if I work hard, if I do the right things. I can make a better life for myself. Mm-hmm. But now what you're saying is it really doesn't matter your what you started with and who you are, mm-hmm. it really doesn't matter because we have to have a certain amount of people. Mm-hmm. And so and and I know this is kind of tongue in cheek here because we are that majority still, so it's really kind of against us, mm-hmm. but who's next? Yeah. And the, the with this women movement thing, white women are next. Mm-hmm. And that's oftentimes what's not talked about because yeah. it's still there's still a lot of women, so women in general can do that. But right now, white men are on the chopping block, mm-hmm. and then it'll be white women, mm-hmm. and then guess what? It's gonna be black people. Mm-hmm. We see this with you know, I can go down. Yeah, that's a, that that's with, a rabbit with hole with the border crossing for and everything. Sure. But that's what's happening, and it's gonna be one step at a time until we're happy with nothing. Mm-hmm. And that, that's the scary thing. But. So the question I posed to this panel was, how do you ensure your DEI efforts stay focused on equality of opportunity instead of equality of outcome when many ESG frameworks score only on outcomes? And there was a very long, awkward, silent pause. Nobody on stage had an answer for that. And that's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. And I think that is really the problem mm-hmm. is we've got these frameworks that are being pushed out there and forced upon us by by the Black Rocks and all these big. <sighs> yeah, so that that is an issue. But one thing that I will say is in one of the discussions at an event that I was at recently, this topic came up and it was actually discussed, which I was shocked, but it was discussed that these Getting access to capital has been increasingly difficult if you don't have a solid ESG program in place. Mm -hmm. Well, I think they're starting to see the 
incredible amount of strain that it puts on a corporation to do all of this ESG related stuff Mm -hmm. and how it's actually hindering its ability to grow and make profits. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost like they're starting to recognize maybe we're pushing a little bit too hard and need to back off Mm -hmm. some which is, it's nice to see that people are actually starting to acknowledge that. I think a balance can be struck. And since DEI, ESG is kind of in its infancy, people are just kind of figuring it out mm-hmm. along the way. And, mm-hmm. and that's what's important for everybody to remember is that this is going to take time for us to figure out. Yes, equality of opportunity, 100%. That's what we need to have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just because you and I both go in for the same position, if I have 20 years of experience in a leadership role and you've got three or five or however many, like I would expect the organization to probably lean into me. Now, there's going to be things that you bring to the table that I don't, mm-hmm. right? And whatever is best suited for the organization, they make that decision. Yeah. But race or gender should not play a factor in who is best suited for a position. Yeah, uh, I agree. I agree. Now, and... and and maybe I'll give a little caveat just just to not be, you know, just to play devil's advocate here. Now, if it comes down to, like, what are you trying to do? And this is really, really where it comes back to the diversity. Yes, because of what color we are, what sex we are, that does mean we have a diverse thinking. But it really should come down to, do you have the qualifications? Are you all equally qualified, at least on paper, on experience and stuff like that? Then let's look at your diversity of background. So there, I think there still is a little bit of a place for that. But with ESG and DEI, it's more like, hey, are you different? And then, oh, let's look at your experience, which any small business owner, anybody that owns their own business realizes you're not, you're not going to do that. We don't do that on professional sports. You don't say, you know what? We don't have that many of you. Let's go ahead and bring you on in. We see <laughs> there still is a male and female sport for now, at least. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we see that we don't just bring a female over just because they're the best over in the female world because they're not the best in the male mm-hmm. sport world. And so we get the best of the best males in the sports, but then we're pushing this on the business and the side. Corporations. Yeah, and the corporations. Yeah, you don't side. see NBA teams saying, well, we don't have enough white folks, so yeah. we need to get more white guys yeah. in, in here, right? It's just, it's not a thing, right? Yeah. So uh, in any event, so I'm going to change the topic so we don't get canceled. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, let's see here. So... How are things going in the public speaking realm for you? I know you've been doing this kind of on the side for a pretty good while, and you've got various cohorts and 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 uh, masterminds and things that you're doing. Talk me through that. Yeah, so the, the people I'm helping, it's been awesome. I definitely want to be able to help more people out and everything. And so as I'm building this up on the side, it's been a struggle to take to that next step, which I really feel is where I can catapult and help a ton more people, which would be really coming into teams. I think I could probably do that on a, a here and there basis. But I couldn't do that on a consistent basis where I come into corporations or help out teams on a regular cadence or anything like that. So I've been really focused on individuals as well as the group cohorts, like you said, and the digital course that I've came out with really just focused in on presentation skills, helping you prepare for your next presentation is what I've really honed in on just because that's something I could immediately do and help you out with
meeting cadences, things like that is what the next step will be with me for me, as well as the culture building piece within that, because that's a huge part of what leaders have to deal with. Because yeah, they're they're going and presenting all the time, so there is that. But then usually that's what will come up in our conversations is, hey, okay, I'm presenting, but how do I present this in a way that helps build up the team? How do I present it in a way that it still goes with the alignment of the company and where we're trying to go, our vision and everything like that? So overall, it's it's coming along good. It's just it slowly working through what works best, what's going to help people the most. And that's where that digital product came out because I found that people are like, whoa, I can't afford that, or at least not right now, or it's, oh, give me a little bit. I don't have enough time. Well, here's this digital course it's at a, a reasonable price compared to the other stuff and it can be on your own pace and everything so just trying to find ways to be able to meet people where they're at essentially is what i've been doing with the business and everything i really like what you've done there in terms of really lowering the barrier to entry mm. and giving people access to the information they need so that they can grow when you do that, it builds an incredible amount of goodwill and trust with those customers. As they grow in their careers, as they start making more and more money, they're going to remember that. And they're going to lean in, not everybody, but many of them are going to remember that and think, man, Philip did this for me back whenever I couldn't afford to really do it. And he came out with this course and made the barrier to entry next to nothing for me. What could I get if I started paying him for one-on-one -on -one coaching, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the things I know you've been doing with your YouTube channel and your podcast and things like that. And that's kind of another driver for me with having the way of the wolf is I want all this information to be out there for free. Mm -hmm. And if somebody wants to learn more about effective communication, yeah, we've got episodes where we talk about that. But if you and you can sift through three years of episodes or you can pay me and I'll come in and do something very targeted and we can get you there as fast as possible. Yeah. Right. But building that library of content, it's just creating goodwill and showing people that you're in it for the long haul. Mm -hmm. And that's also what's important. Yeah, exactly. It goes back to the acronym we talked about. Yeah. You and I are both doing that. We're acting or being consistent and giving it time to develop the business. And so how about for you? I mean, I know you just took that step out. Well, I say just, but it's been a couple of months now mm -hmm. that you took that step out on your own. Mm -hmm. I know you were doing pretty good to be able to develop it you kind of had the team going mm -hmm. and now you're out in it full time so are you like in it doing the trainings or are you kind of more as the ceo you're kind of overlooking everything more yeah so what's funny about this just over the past few days i've been reflecting and <clears throat> oh man yeah <laughs> yeah so i knew that the business development and lead generation and sales side of thing was going to be something i was going to struggle with Never in my life have I had to do any of that stuff or build skills around it. I'm very comfortable in all these other areas that I've led in, but I've never had to sell anything. Mm. And so right now, the lion's share of my time is spent on business development. And yes, I've been doing it full time. And Philip, I'll say um, I was compensated very, very well for my time whenever I worked in oil and gas. Now I am not compensated <laughs> at all for my time. And I say that kind of tongue in cheek, but I'm not paying myself anything out of my company for the first year. Mm. Everything that I earn in terms of billable time is going back into the company so that we can pay for marketing. We can pay for branding. We can pay for talent when we bring it in the door. I've saved a lot of money and I'm betting on myself in this process. 
very scary, but it's also where my heart is and it's deep down. I know this is my purpose in life. So I'm going all in. I'm betting on myself. I'm not going to take a salary for a year and we'll see what happens. But the lion's share of my time right now is spent on business development and then leadership development. Mm -hmm. So I have consultants. There's we'll say four or five at any given time that are working on various projects and various capacities. Mm -hmm. And so I'll, I'll support them in the things that they are doing. But my main focus is business development and then leadership development. And what I'm seeing is there's almost two verticals of the, the coaching and leadership side and then the consulting project management side mm -hmm. of things. And what I'm starting to realize is these end up funneling work to one another. If we get in the door and start focusing on an ERP implementation, as we're working with the people in operations and the people in IT, we start to identify the strengths and weaknesses of everybody on those teams. And I can come in and start coaching them on working through those weaknesses so that they can become more proficient and more successful down the road. Mm. The inverse, if I sit down and start doing executive coaching with a C-suite executive or a vice president of IT, and start recognizing they have some execution challenges with people on their team, I can augment with some of our consultants. So these two verticals actually support each other very well. And in all of my market research, it doesn't seem that there's a lot of companies that can do both very well. You have a leadership development firm or you have a consulting firm. And a lot of companies or customers will go get this leadership firm and this consulting firm and sometimes they work together sometimes they don't mm -hmm. but there's very few that can actually do both and successfully blend those together and therein lies the value proposition that seems to resonate mm -hmm. with the customers that we have so far and whenever i have conversations with potential customers they seem to latch on to that and see a tremendous amount of value in that approach. So um, I'm not getting paid anything right now, but I'm optimistic and thinking yeah. that it's going to work out really well for us. Yeah, I think it's the better spot for you to be in. And I would even challenge you more to try and get somebody in that leadership executive coach role for you as well, because the, the less you are the face uh, or you're the one that's actually doing the work, the better, because I've seen guys like that where they want to start a business and they become the coach. Mm -hmm. They are the person that has to be there. They're the trainer and they can never go work and develop that business. And so you being able to kind of be on the outside and yeah, you are doing some executive coaching still, mm -hmm. but doing that business development is going to be the better spot for you to be able to continue to grow that company. Because if you become the coach, everybody's going to want you. And while it's great in the short term, in the long term, it's not. And so the less you can do, the better. So you're really in a great spot right now doing that. Uh, that's yeah. cool that you're not taking a salary for the moment. Yeah, I appreciate Well, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> <but> <laughs> that's why I said for the moment. Yeah, for the moment. Yeah. But it's, um, yeah, I mean, you touch on something that's also very important. I'm aware of how to operate a business at scale and obviously the importance of being in a leadership role. Uh, right now, the name of the game is capturing customers, capturing revenue, and, and building our team. As I'm networking with people, I'm kind of identifying and, and almost bucketizing people that I'm networking with. Could mm -hmm. this be a potential client? Could this be a potential partner that we could pass stuff over to the fence or maybe they could pass stuff over to us? Could this be a potential employee? 
So every time I go have lunch with somebody or coffee or breakfast or something like that, I'm viewing it through that lens to figure out where they can fit. And maybe they can fit in multiple areas. I've also seen that. But whenever I start having these conversations, I'm always thinking in the back of my mind, as we grow, is there an opportunity for someone to come in and start doing more of this? You, one day, are going to work for me. At least that's where my head is at, because I need somebody with your skill set or will need somebody with your skill set around public speaking, being able to come in and coach and mentor and help people get comfortable with getting on stage. So I'm always keeping a pulse on people in my network and who would be a good fit. There was a lady I had a conversation with a couple of months ago. She works for a big publicly traded corporation, but she's leading their learning and development program and their leadership development program, very heavily, uh, heavily emphasized uh, disc training and stuff like that. At some point, I would love to be able to bring her in to be able to do that stuff and facilitate. Yeah. So as an entrepreneur, I've come to realize it is important. Yes, you got to get in and do the work, but also don't create a situation where you are just creating a job for yourself to not work for the man. Mm -hmm. If you want to be a solopreneur, cool. That's great. But also it's really cool to be able to build a team and build a bunch of people. And, you know, I also see the flip side of this where some entrepreneurs, they teach you how to build a business and then exit the Mm -hmm. business which there is some value and there's a lot of value in being able to build up an organization that can operate autonomously without you. And then you just kind of jump in whenever it's needed Mm -hmm. because it allows you the opportunity to go do something else. Uh, I'm never going to exit WSS. It's because it's so near and dear to my heart. There may be other companies that I start in the future that I build up and exit. But right now, because of the potential impact it can have on teams, companies and people, it's going to stick with me forever. And it's just something that's near and dear to my heart. And that makes it very easy for me to hire the best talent because a lot of the best talent has been through mergers and acquisitions and it's destroyed their lives. And I want to make sure everybody on my team always knows that that will never happen. I will never sell this company. We will never go public. I don't even know if we'll ever get that big, but (laughs) I have no aspirations because it's not about money for me. It's about positively impacting the lives of everybody we work with. Yeah, yeah, and you can definitely tell that through the things. I know we talk offline a, l- a little bit more detail for sure, but still, you can definitely tell from your content, the podcast that you're doing, everything that you really care about, the people that work for you and the people that you work with and everything. And and I'll give this challenge to the listeners right now. If maybe you're in that spot where either you are, you just started developing your business, or maybe you're thinking about it and you're still in that nine to five, you can learn the principles to developing a business by being in a company, especially as the company is larger, networking within a company is the same thing when you're outside of the company because it's not about what you know, it's about the people that you know and who know you more importantly because when they need a leadership coach or they need a speaking coach, they go to Sean for leadership, they go to me for public speaking. But it's because I've networked with enough people. It's because you've networked with enough people. So you being in that nine to five, if people know that you have this aspiration, this here's where you're going, here's how you can help them out, or even that you just happen to know everybody. 
<laughs> that's something that's going to be so much better for you and help you be able to grow in your company. So when you decide, hey, it's time for me to take my business elsewhere to do this on my own, you can take those same practices and apply that for your business. But the, the same thing with building up that team, building up teams, building up camaraderie with people around you, building up a culture, being known for something that transfers from a nine to five out into the real world. So practice while it's safe, if you will, within that company with that stable salary. And I would even challenge you to really just get outside the comfort zone. Just do something and you're like, oh, this would be stupid. I don't know if this really makes sense. Go network up. Go, you know, you need to figure out how it's going to work for you. But if you can go talk with the VP and maybe you're just a, a manager or even just a, an engineer or somebody that's just an employee, non-leadership level, try and get a coffee with that VP even if it's through LinkedIn. And the, this is a great way to connect. I've actually had some conversations with VPs and department managers who would be two and three levels above me right now because I connected with them on LinkedIn and said, hey, you know, good seeing you. And and I'm sure they've seen my name. Maybe they have, maybe they haven't. And I would love to get coffee with you sometime. Yeah, let's set something up. You know, talk to my secretary or whatever. And I've been able to get coffee in because of that, but because I networked. And so same thing, even internally, it's a little bit dif more difficult when you're internal because you're going through the secretary, but still find ways to get in front of these people. And it's going to translate right there for the outside world for you. You touched on something that is really important. And I think everybody has heard, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to take it a step further to it's not what you know, it's who you know, but also it's who knows what you know. Mm -hmm. Because you and I could know each other. We mm -hmm. could work out at the gym together and just train like animals. And I could never know that you did public speaking. Yeah. Right? So yeah. it's important for Philip to make people aware of the things that Philip is good at. Yeah. It's great to network with people and have conversations, but also layer in a little <clears throat> bit of intentionality so that people know the depth of Philip mm -hmm. in all the different things that you care about, all the different things that you're passionate about. So always take it one step further than just networking with people. Do it with intentionality yeah. and let them know, hey, here's my strengths. Here's what I'm, I'm good at. Here's what I enjoy doing type of thing. Mm -hmm. And not in like a salesy type way, yeah. but just being comfortable opening up and letting people know what you know. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I'll take this uh, with an example for us is that when we think about dating, most of the time when you meet a person, uh, most people, they are introduced to somebody. So a third party introduces them together, and that's who they end up marrying, more so than you happen to meet somebody on Tinder or at the gym or wherever you met them and y'all just happen to meet. Now, can that work out? Yes. But because of that, what I call third party validation, it makes somebody automatically trust you so much more. So taking this from relationships to business, when you can get a third party person or somebody that's a mutual connection to say, hey, you need to talk to Sean because he is a great leadership coach. They now trust that Sean's a great leadership coach so much more than if they randomly happen to see you on social media, listen to your, your post, you reach out to him a cold DM, whatever. You're still the same guy. You're still the same person. But because of that third party, that mutual connection, you're automatically that much better. And sometimes it's not even about that. Like I actually got one of my one-on-one -on -one clients because when I, I reached out through a cold DM, he was follow, this guy was following me. I reached out to him. 
and we had a mutual connection. And I talked a little about that mutual connection. Hey, how do you know this person? And they were in the same industry as this person. And because of that, all of a sudden, like the trust level went up. And I ended up closing the guy over DMs, which was really awesome. First time that I've ever done that, at least at the high ticket level. I've done some other stuff, lower ticket level, but that that the one-on-one coaching. But anyways, but I use that mutual connection to help us. But most of the people I've worked with has not been because I've known them or if I have known them and I didn't have a third party, it, it took time. But the way to cut that time down and how I've gotten people to work with me so much quicker was a, through a third-party connection. So get people to know what you do, like Sean's saying, and your business is going to tr- transform so much more. Whatever you want to do is going to be so much better and grow so much faster through other people knowing what you do versus you just knowing everybody. Philip. I have to say, every time we get together, you impress me more and more. Just seeing your consistency over time, it's, it's <laughs> man, it's so damn impressive. Okay, we do have to wrap up. We're going to be jumping on Cami Lehman's pod hour, which I'll post a link to that in the show notes for any of you that want to listen to Cami Lehman's show. Um, I've been on her show before. Tons of energy. She's just fantastic. She's just absolutely amazing. So before we wrap up, what is one of the biggest lessons that you have learned in 2023? Really just being, going back to the the ACT acronym, but just being consistent and setting actionable steps that I can take, little milestones instead of just looking at the big picture of here's where I want to go and getting frustrated. I've really, and it's funny because I'm an engineer, I usually can reverse engineer things because that's what engineers do. But when it came to my business, my goals, it was really hard to figure out how to reverse engineer that. But Finally, this year, I really figured out ways, okay, here's my end target. What are some steps that I can take along the way to get there? And what are some milestones that I can get? And when I started doing that, I started being comfortable with the process and started enjoying the process. And I started being patient as well, which is a huge struggle for me. So really reverse engineering goals and just continuing to be consistent and realizing that it's going to take that time for people to recognize me and want to do business with me and just letting things fall where they may along the way is what I've done. Just so I just control what I can control. If I want to sum that up in a better way, control what you can control, focus on what you can control and leave it at that. I love it. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is all we have for the show today. A little bit of a different format. We just came in and started chopping it up and having a good conversation, but I actually really enjoyed it. Instead of actually interviewing him, we just had a great conversation. We did that like three years ago. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'll I'll link the previous shows in the show notes. So there's a bunch of interactions between uh, Philip and I over the years. But Uh, Yeah, like, subscribe, share the show with somebody. If you could leave a review, it would mean the absolute world to me. Don't monetize the show. I'm not selling anything, never going to. So the best way we can affect change at scale is by leaving those reviews, leaving a comment, and hopefully sharing that with people to possibly change their lives and help them grow as leaders. That is all we have, ladies and gentlemen. Y'all have a good one.